This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is The Breakfast Grill. Even in 2018, the plastics manufacturing industry was already contributing 7.23 billion US dollars to the national economy or close to 5% of GDP. This figure would certainly be higher in 2023 for this highly diversified sector which produces goods ranging from automotive components to construction materials, housewares and packaging products. We speak to one such company, LH Plus, who produces tapoe and rubber made to talk about the industry headwinds, the growth. Kelam Chen, the CEO, joins us in the studio again. Good morning, Kelam. Uh, good morning, Shani. Let's start with the operating environment. Now, we know it was tough during the pandemic, but what's your outlook for 2023 for LH Plus? For 2023, we think it's going to be much better than the last two years for the simple reason that the pandemic is over, the logistics disruption is over, it's stabilising, and things are going back to normal. And if you look at it from the positive side, uh, because of the high logistics cost, many of our customers were unable to import. They held back all their orders simply because the freight cost is too high. Mm. And I think we all know it went from about two thousand US dollar per forty foot container to LA and Long Beach to up to about twenty one thousand US. So because of all this, the stores are now empty, the shelves are empty, and they are filling back again. So all these orders are coming in in big numbers now. Okay, so give us a, a flavour of the actual growth because, you know, as usual, I did a bit of digging and had a peek at your accounts at SSM and based on what I can find, which is only up to December 2021, mm-hmm. revenue then was 63 million ringgit. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was up from 61 million in 2020. What's it going to be like in 2022? And, you know, what's your guidance for 2023 then? Our original projection was to grow 10% in 2022. But because of the disruption, we actually went down by about 8%. Okay. And uh, of course, before the pandemic, at the peak, we were doing about 100 million ringgit uh, with about 26% PBT. We were doing high-end products. And for 2023, we hope to grow about at least 15 to 20%. Like I said, one is because business is coming back. And number two, also because we diversified. We went to new customers. Uh, besides US, now we have gone to Japan, and they're supplying to the Yamada Group, who supplies to the 100 yen shops, range of 100 yen shops. We're supplying to Nitori, and now we've also gone into Muji. From there, we moved to Germany. You were very much a name associated with Rubbermaid and Tupperware, so that's changed, right? But is the focus still very much on high-end household uh, plastics? Because in the past, I remember that you we were trying to shift towards medical plastic manufacturing. Is that diversification happening? This is our 31st year with Rubbermaid. You know, and uh, we are one of their biggest uh, supplier for houseware product. Anything Rubbermaid made in Malaysia, whether it's the containers or the beverage bottle, is 100% made by us. Then we moved to uh, Tupperware, then we moved to everywhere, another Bradshaw International US company. And from that, we diversified. Mm. And we were looking at it. Should we move into the food products, food packaging, or should we move to medical? So we chose medical. And we are now, uh, when we're supplying to Medline, a US $32 billion private company. And from there, we also shifted our reliance on US because of geographical risk. So we went to Japan. And again, there's a reason, uh, Chowning. Uh, after October, 
sales to US will drop because it takes one month to send goods to them. Okay. Then another month to deliver, to distribute and all that. So that period will blow. But Japan is the reverse. They have okay. spring sales. So we balance our production. You want to avoid the seasonality That's effect. Right. No, it, it fills in the gap okay. very nicely. So you won't say that you suffer from concentration risk in terms of customers anymore because last time it was very much yeah. rubber made and in the past it was Mattel, right, which no longer Mattel is Mattel toys uh, was because they shifted mm. out of Malaysia. Uh, now we have about six major customers and besides Germany now, we're moving back to Australia again. Yeah. Help us understand how these contracts work. I mean, how much visibility do you have? Do they give you like confirm order book for the year? Because, you know, that enables you to have some line of sight in terms of how much to expand, how much inventory to keep. But they do yearly forecast, quarterly order, and then monthly firm orders. And it has worked very well. But having said that, uh, we were too reliant on Rubbermaid back then. And it's my fault. Cover zone and... Uh, just too comfortable. Margin was good, business was growing and expanding. And it was a wake-up call. So in 2018, sales dropped about 59% from 100 million to about 41. Uh, so it was, and I'm glad because I always believe one thing, things happen for a reason. Had it happened in 2020, I think we'd be dead. We look at it very positively and ask ourselves, what can we do and what should we do? And that's where we move out of our comfort zone. We did not blame anybody. We work very aggressively as a team. External threat became an opportunity. So community. how do you then secure these new customers? Because let's face it, LH Plus, a Malaysian company, mm-hmm. yet you do most of your business overseas to some of these very big names. Yeah. How do they know about you and come to you or do you go to them? to tell them, oh, I have these products I can manufacture for you? One is referrals, mainly referrals. Uh, and then number two, they do see what is happening and they, they send it to us. And of course, we also try going out. At the end of the day, I think you have to maintain your name, your reputation. So do you fight on pricing, quality? What is it? What differentiates you from the myriad of plastic manufacturers out there? The very common feedback I get from my customers, Callum, your quality is very good, but your pricing is on a higher side. But they're willing to pay. Is they're willing to pay. And I, and I told them, I said, you are not buying a plastic product. You're not just buying a container. You're buying the whole experience. You're buying quality. You know, if you want me to lower the quality, I can. But where would that lead me? I will keep moving down the triangle, right down to the bottom. When we are moving from the bottom up the, the, the triangle, where it's more complicated, more sophisticated, the customers are more demanding, they need you to have all the compliance, they need you to have the SEDEX, they have this, have that, and we are able to manage that. Then I say, you should pay for quality. We are not expensive. We are value for money. So how competitive really is this business? Because from what I can see here in Malaysia, okay, it seems very fra- fragmented. So the Malaysian Plastics Manufacturers Association, 750 members, and that only accounts for 60% of plastic manufacturers in this country. So do you have any indication of your market share? How big are you a player in this country? Uh, I would say it depends. You see, if you just go by the top line, there are many plastics companies yes. doing very, very much bigger than us. A few billion ringgit even to the extent. Uh, but what we're looking at is that we are in an area where you talk about the top. So okay, your niche. Branded, very niche. Uh, to me, the top line is important, but the bottom line is even more important. How you maintain that, how you grow the thing, and it's just turnover. Because it's profit. 
Would you say then this business is one with low barriers to entry? The reason why I say this is like I'm an outsider, right? Uh, from my perspective, it would seem rather low tech. And maybe some people would even argue it's in structural decline, especially for a country like Malaysia, where there's this environment of rising labour costs. So it would make sense for plastic manufacturers to, to find lower cost of production countries. Is that the case? Is that really what's happening? To answer the question, Shaolin, it is a very low cost barrier. I can just buy a few second-hand machine, mm. start the business, mom and pop, so I run it. You can make a living very easily. But when you want to grow back, then you have to move up the value chain. You see, back in 2007, when the age interviewed me, I made it very clear. We should choose our customers. Don't compete with the Chinese, the Vietnamese, the Indonesian, and the Thais. I said compete with the Americans and the Europeans, where they pay in US dollar by the hour and euro by the hour. And we pay in ringgit by the day. So it is a no-brainer. Mm. But the big question is, do we have what it takes to do what they're doing? Of course, the answer is no. And if that is the answer and we want to move in that direction, what should we do? So what have company? you done then, Caleb, since then? No, we started investing in people. Hardware and software is easy. The banks will finance, but it's the people. So we started training our people, investing in them, show them a career path, and they've been with us all, all the while since. Okay, I'll come back to succession planning and career yeah. path, but I want to talk a little bit about the bottom line and take a look, closer look at mm -hmm. costs. So last few years, all manufacturers, I think, suffered the same headwinds, especially those export mm -hmm. focus. You've had rising logistic costs, supply chain disruptions, very expensive raw material yeah. input and labour issues. Are you facing these issues? Have you been able to pass these rising costs on to customers? Only partly, not all of it. Because at the end of the day, customers still want, want a good price. Mm. Uh, we were not impacted by the logistics cost because we sell on the FOB basis. But maybe they're a bit more reluctant to order, like you say then. They have back their order because the cost was too high. So what we did, Shawning, uh raw material costs went up by about 41%. Labor costs went up by 30 not 25 uh, not 26 because now OT is based on 1,005 and not on 1,002. Then we, because we export so much, you know, we wouldn't have to pay recruitment as source for our foreign workers. Now, electricity has gone up by about 40% yes. because of the ICPD. So all this adds up to the whole thing. But what we did was, you see, in all industries, whether you're MNC, mid-tier, SME or MSME, the department that uses the most people will always, always be packaging assembly. So this way, we started focusing on it. And we went into automation. And we were able to cut headcount by 80%, meaning I have one line that uses 10 people to do the packaging. Now I only use two. Okay. And output, depending on the product, some output went up by 1.5 times, some went up by two and a half times. So my cost comes down. And they only use 40% of the space. It's much more compact. And the, the, besides this, uh, Shawnee, we work with the local suppliers, but with due respect, the automation makers don't know our pain point. So my team worked with them, told them what were the challenges they faced. All these are customized. And again, my, my team felt good because they are learning. Mm. And then, of course, it took time, but we came back and things are now moving very, very efficiently. So what does this then mean for your PBT margins? Because if I look at 2021, it was around 4%, right? Yeah. And then in 2020, it was 5%. Are we going to see some... Improvement. I mean, at the peak from what I gather, SSM up to 2017, it was as high as 12%, albeit at that time revenue was about 100 million ringgit. 
or it was actually about 21%. So we wrote off, cut some of the thing and mm. all that. Lah. So uh, this year, last year, we were lucky because of all these exercises that we managed our cost. And of course, uh, there was also US dollar strength, which I'm US sure helped help, you. US dollar help. And we worked 24 by 7. We track our output and the reject daily. And our target is below 1%. And so far, we've been hitting that. So what, 1%. so what does it mean for PPT margins? Are you like... Uh, last year, we meant, despite the drop in the revenue, uh, despite the increase in cost, we managed to make up a few percent also. But this year, we hope to make at least about 10 to 12%. On the Breakfast Grill this morning is Kilim Chen, CEO of LH Plus Household, plastic manufacturer for brands like Rubbermaid and Tupperware. When we come back from the break, it's an IPO on the cards for this second-generation-run company, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Breakfast Grill. In the hot seat this morning is Callum Chen, CEO of LH+. Before the break, how competitive is the operating environment and are there still cost pressures? Now, Callum, we talked about your factory, how modern it is, but mm. give us a flavour in terms of the capacity utilisation. Are there plans for expansion in Malaysia at this juncture? Uh, we invested close to 30 million ringgit between September 2019 during the MCO until now. Mainly in new German technology, we bought the uh, Sumitomo Dimac, mm. German machines, but now acquired by the Japanese, and we sold off our older machines. Your capacity utilization, are you running 24 7 for your factory? We are running 24 by 7, but there are two things, uh, Shawnee. One is because we invested in a new German hybrid machine doing teen wall, high speed. Mm. So back then, just to give an example, uh, how, how we manage our costs. Uh, we are doing for Madline a carafe. Back then, we were using two cavity mold running on the electric machine at about 24 seconds. Then we changed, we expanded the four cavity mold, which double up, and now it's only running at 11 seconds. Okay. So four times output. And that's why, despite the increase in the raw material prices, all the other costs, we were able to manage because all this is additional profit. Yeah, so you've achieved a certain level of operational efficiency, right? For sure. Uh, we and are, are we focus on operation excellence. Since you're running in 24-7, is there any plans to, let's say, have another factory? Increase your capacity even more in, in you know, your facilities at the moment? Okay, Shaoning, now we are running about 30 plus or 40%. Mm. One reason is because or the higher speed and everything. So last time, we used probably two or three machines to do the job. Now we're only using one. So we have excess capacity. That's why we are now moving into our own brand, OBM. Oh, okay. Own brand for the Japanese market, developing our own range for the global market as well. Okay, and so... we are also focusing on private labor, meaning I invest in all this more, what you see is what you get. You don't have to worry whether the quality is good or not. You see, do you like this? I change the brand for you. I can put your label and then we will be your exclusive supplier. And they hit the ground, right? Retailers all over the world are trying to do their own, their, their own private label. But then they don't have that skill and then many companies are not willing to invest for them. So we are looking at this as a very niche market. Of course, the other one is on e-commerce. Mm. We are we're going uh, joining global platform to export and sell on the basis. All right. Kalem, I want to change 
the conversation a little bit and ask you as your capacity as the president and founder of the Malaysian Consortium of Mid-Tier Companies. And I think we often ignore this segment. Mm -hmm. uh, attention is always like on SMEs and MNCs. But actually, mid-tier represents significant business interests. Now, competition mm. is global. Same for you. Subsidies and handouts aren't the, only, aren't the solution, right? Because we don't want zombie companies mm -hmm. here in this country. But what is needed so that Malaysian companies don't get left behind? You have a plan, but some companies don't. Yeah. Is it many, most if not all, mid-tier companies like LH Plus were once SMEs. Yes. But these are companies who have weathered many storms, gone through several crises and came out stronger. But you want to that. take it to the next level also, That's right? right? Mid-tier companies form only 1.7% of all companies in Malaysia. We employ 16% of total workforce, down from 22% in 2016. Reason is because many automated, many automation and expanded. Uh, but this 1.7% contributes to 39.9% of the GDP. Now it's 41%. And the reason was because in the past, we used to be lumped together with SMEs until they took us out okay. a few years back. And what, what we're doing is that uh, people have been talking about growing you know, DDI, domestic direct investment. They want to focus. And of course, the government has always been focusing on SME and MSME, and they're not wrong. But then I was due to tell them, if you have this 1.7% of the companies who's contributing to 40% of the GDP, shouldn't you be, be paying more attention to them? Mm. And one of the challenges we have is that uh, we are an orphan in a no man's land. Nobody notices. So in March 2020, when the MCO started, uh, I presented to Tansrino Asman, who was the executive director of the uh, Economic Action Council. And I told him, I said, and Tansri said, Callum, this is the first time I'm hearing about mid-tier. I said, you're not alone. Many people have not yeah. heard about us. So, so what, I, what do mid-tier companies want then? Or what do they need? I, I told, we, like all SMEs, we need more working capital. We need more funds. And Maida has the DISF, Domestic Investment Strategic Fund. They have the ACA. They have a lot of schemes. I said, all these are well met, but it's taking too long. But so, people assume with your size and your scale, you could go to financial institutions, right, to the banks uh, to, to basically have the funds to expand. Not wrong. Shouting, if you're the banker, I come and approach you, say, Caleb, oh, I love what you're doing. It's great. What collateral can you give me? There's a thing. So I told Tansri Aslan that, I said, number one, reintroduce reinvestment allowance. It's a no-brainer. Number two, they have the SJPP, Sarikat, Jaminan, Pambian, Paniagan, where the government granted 80% of the loan and up to 10 million. I said, this is good, but it's not taking off. Simply because, not because the SMEs do not want to borrow. They, the papers are not in order. The documents are not in order. So it, it's not working. So I said, extend this to 20 million, include the mid-tier companies. The reality on the ground will be the mid-tier companies, the bigger SME and the more forward SMEs who will be investing in DDI. And I'm glad because the government took note. So RA was reintroduced uh, for the year of assessment 2020, 21, 22. Many com companies benefited. But I asked for 80% to give 60. Still good, still better than nothing. And then the SJPP granted loan uh, was only confirmed 
in September 2021 when I presented to Tunku Zafro uh, virtually uh, when he was the finance minister. So I said, Tunku, he said, Callum, for your information, in a summary, uh, he said, uh, RA, I asked for extension to 2025. You know, he said, until 2024, still at 60%. And then but your SJPP loan to 20 million include the mid-tier companies is approved. The ironical thing shouting, banks are flush with cash. But they're reluctant to lend. No, they're not reluctant. They they not lend. Okay. No, no, no collateral. And I said, I told the minister that this is where government can inject a lot of cash into the system without taking a single cent out. Give the grantee to the bank. The banks don't do it with the eyes closed. Check on the company. They think they're not okay. They'll they won't still lend. do the same fiduciary yeah. duty and carry out the credit checks, right? This granted eighty percent. We pay one percent commitment fee a year, but the system starts moving. I said, no money, no talk. Without fresh injection of funds into the system, nothing will move. And this is the reality. Well, let's hope that the government's taking note for some of your suggestions, especially since Budget 2023 is around the corner. Oh, uh, for the- your information, uh, Shawning, when I was asked to present it to Tunku Zafro again now as the Miti Minister, I told him the same thing. Mm. He said, Sekarang saya tak sana lagi. That's it. That's why when during your time, I told you to do all this. Well, but, let's hope that Sri Anwar Ibrahim is listening in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, and Caleb, when I do research in your company, it's one of the oldest plastic manufacturing mm. companies in Malaysia. You're second generation running this business. And you know, there's a Chinese saying that wealth cannot last beyond the third generation. So does it worry you when it comes to the future of LH Plus? What's next? Are, are you considering a listing? Uh, you see, family and I own 100% of LH Plus. But other than the head of the department of local sales, who's my daughter Kelly, all other head of departments are non-family members. I always have this feeling that people should be promoted based on contribution, based on merit, and not based on bloodline. And this is also where I give them a level playing field. So is your successor, has someone been chosen? Wouldn't it be easier to institutionalize it then, in a way, to become a listed company then? Of course. You know, there's a certain kind of... A lot of people want to join listed companies, sure. right? It will erase your profile. That's right. That's right. That's why we have quite a number of suitors coming to us, uh, people coming in. There's one big company in Singapore uh, who wants to buy into my company at 30%. It may be very clear. Conditions, Callum, you continue to run for the next few years. Mm. Then I asked him this question. I said, I read in the papers, you know, that you just close one deal and you make 400 million sing. We are only about 30 million sing. What's there for you? Yeah. And he said, Callum, it is not where you are. It's where you're heading. Because he asked me one question. Callum, how big can you grow this company? I said, two ways of looking at it, you know. Uh, when you, you don't, you have to make your own money in organic growth. Chinese say Tai Chow Sik Fa, no? Mm. You, you, you do what you can, but if you tell me, Callum, this is the war chest. Do what you want, you know. The pipe is there for you to use. That is a different story. So, uh, too bad that that they didn't think of because something happened to the guy, you know. But you're not said. completely close to the idea then? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I mean, as a businessman, we're always open to suggestion. Mm. Uh, then people, when they come in, I always ask them one question. Other than money, what else can you bring to the table? Because if it's money alone, the bank is willing to lend me what I want. So I said, that doesn't change anything. I need synergy. People can add value to the company and grow it together, mm. either in human resource, uh, in distribution channel, in product development, market, whatever. 
you know, that where, you know, the, the, you create the synergy and we grow together. Okay. Then we go for listing. Yeah. On that note, thank you for your time today. And the Breakfast Grill was Kalem Chen, CEO of LH Plus Sindirin Berhad. I'm Wong Shani, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.